Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome to the podcast. This is Relatable. Thank you guys so much for listening. So today we are going to cover some of the most absurd stories of the week. I asked you guys on Instagram to send me the craziest things you've heard in the news, and you did. A lot of you sent me the same things, which means that these are stories that people are talking about that they are uh, shocked by. So I'm going to give you my take on these absolutely absurd things that are happening in our world. And then I promised if we have time that I would answer some of the questions that you sent. Um, I asked specifically if you guys had any um, uh, personal questions to ask, because in the past, you guys have sent me emails asking me to do that kind of segment more. So I would be happy to. Thank you guys. To those of you who uh, sent me questions, you can always do that. Email me, Ali at theconservativemillennialblog.com. Uh, or you can, of course, message me on Instagram, which many of you do. One thing before we get started with all of that, uh, I am at, I think I have 820 reviews on iTunes right now. So that's pretty good. But before the end of the year, I would really like a thousand reviews on iTunes. That would just really make my year. That would make 2018 just round out so beautifully. If you would send me, I'm going to give you a caveat, positive five-star reviews on iTunes. Now, there's a there's a peeve of mine uh, that some people do. And it is leaving me a four-star review, but leaving a positive comment. So it's one thing if you leave a four-star review and you say, I love this podcast, but Allie's voice is really annoying. I love this podcast, but she likes cats and cats are awful. I really like this podcast, but she likes Chili's chicken fingers too much. Okay, that's fine. You can give me four stars, even though I prefer that you email me those things. But I've done this before. Once upon a time, when I was a lowly publicist, I uh, gave a four-star review to a catering company that actually did a service for our client and got ripped to shreds because I left a positive comment, but left four stars. It was the first four-star review they'd ever gotten. It messed up their whole thing. And since then, I've realized the power of a five-star review. Please, if you like my podcast, even just a little bit, please leave me a five-star review. Of course, I don't want you to be dishonest. If you don't like my podcast or you have constructive criticism, you can still leave a five-star review, but just email me. Like I said, Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com. I take your criticism and your feedback seriously. I might not always agree with you, uh, but I do my best to take it into consideration. And if, if it is a, a worthy criticism, then I will absolutely do it. For example, I had a couple people say, you know what you've cussed, like you've said, uh, you know, bad A or something like that on your podcast. And I would really appreciate if you didn't do that because I've got kids in the car. So at first I listened to that and I was like, oh man, I mean, you know, those are just casual words. But then not only did I stop doing that because that's important to me that you guys can listen to this wherever and you don't have to worry about, um, oh, I'm going to have to cover my, my kids ears, but also because I, I realized that that's not a godly or biblical thing to do. We're supposed to not engage in crude joking. We're not supposed to talk like that. And so I was actually being disobedient just in and of itself by using those kind of words. So know that I do take what you say seriously. And I do take your feedback and I do take your criticism. Like I said, I might not always agree, but, uh, I promise you that I will think about them and, and pray over these things and I will apply them if necessary. So just FYI, but please leave a positive review on iTunes. I 
would absolutely love that. Okay, so once before we go into all of the absurd stories that you guys sent me, just want to note really quickly that uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, he had his funeral yesterday. It was a state funeral. So not every president or every uh, notable figure in American history has had a state uh, state funeral. I believe that this was only the 19th state funeral in U.S. history. Not even George Washington had it. Uh, now, some people have uh, different opinions about if we should even have state funerals, particularly for a president who didn't die tragically, um, because it kind of is... Uh, People think that it harkens back to when we lived under the monarchy of England. It's more of a, a royalist type tradition. Of course, that's not how we regard it today. Um, there have been uh, plenty of notable presidents and American heroes that have had uh, state funerals, which uh, solicits a national day of mourning. And we regard it as now an American tradition. And that's what it was when we honored George H.W. Bush yesterday. Like I said, there are different opinions in that. Regardless of what you believe about these uh, elaborate state funerals, it was a very beautiful service. I watched some of it on Fox News and I watched George W. Bush, of course, the 43rd president of the United States. H.W. Uh, Bush was the 41st. He delivered the eulogy, a beautiful speech. I don't know how sons and daughters do this in, in front of the world. Of course, he has a lot of experience speaking in front of the world as a former president, but I just thought he did a great job. He is witty. He is charming. He is thoughtful. I think that he is profound in a, a very relatable way. And uh, it, was, it was a meaningful speech. So I just want to play you the last little bit of the speech, which made me especially emotional. Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding mom's hand again. So I don't know about you, but whenever I see someone cry, especially like that, just with, with that much spontaneous emotion, I immediately cry. It's like an involuntary reaction. Both my husband and I were sitting and watching the speech and we just started, we started crying. We welled up with tears. Um, he held it together so well. And then in that last moment, I'm sure it was because you know, he was heading towards the end of uh, of the speech, the last time he would formally honor his dad. And of course, talking about his dad being in heaven with his uh, with his sister who died when she was young and with George W. sister who died when she was young and also with Barbara Bush. That's a very uh, emotional picture. That's a very emotional thing to say. So God bless the Bush family, uh, praying for them, praying that he would comfort them and that everyone who is involved in this whole thing and who, who witnessed this funeral would come to know Christ and that Christ would be glorified through all of that. So George H.W. Bush, American uh, hero, served his country really well, really bravely and really steadfastly. And he's a member of the greatest generation that all of us, no matter our political leanings, uh, can learn from. So I want to shift gears entirely, entirely different tone from somewhat uh, 
somber memorializing a former president to absurdity. Uh, you guys asked me to cover some of these crazy stories that are happening in the news. So this is going to be this is going to be a fun episode. OK, this is going to be you banging your head against your steering wheel if you are driving or banging your head against the sidewalk if you are walking because you are going to be thinking, oh, my gosh, is this really what our world is coming to? Is this stuff becoming mainstream? And we don't know, but we can at least laugh at it together because what are we going to do? We we have the choice between crying or laughing. We might as well laugh, at least for now. So first story is from the Huffington Post, the, um, you know, the, the arbiter of all truth, the uh, purveyor of credible news, HuffPo, says this, pa- this is, this is the headline, okay? Yes. This pastor is melting purity rings into a golden vagina sculpture. Yes, you heard exactly what I said. That is not a game of Mad Libs that you heard. That is not me drawing uh, random words out of a hat and putting it together. I, I don't think that's what happened with HuffPo. I think this is a legitimate story. I mean, there are like pictures and there's like this person involved that is actually like an actual person. So here's a line from this HuffPost story. What should Christian feminists do? I I already have a problem with this sentence. What should Christian feminists do with their old, quote, purity rings? It put quote around purity because I guess that's a figure of speech to them. Uh, Symbols of a patriarchal theology. Like I cannot get through this entire sentence without peeling all of my eyelashes out. Um, patriarchal theology that has harmed countless women. Melt them down, says progressive. Oh, that's not a question. Sorry, they're saying that definitively. Melt them down, says progressive Christian author and theologian Nadia Bowles Weber and uh, creates something completely new. Okay, let me say that again so you can understand what is being said. What should a Christian feminist do with their old purity rings? Symbols of a patriarchal theology that has harmed countless women. Melt them down, says progressive Christian author and theologian Nadia Bowles Weber, Weber, I don't know, and create something completely new. Okay. So I've read this article now a few, or I've read uh, different articles about this a few times because people uh, like you keep sending it to me. Apparently, you guys think this is the kind of stuff that I like to hear. It's not. This makes me want to claw my eyes out, take my eardrums out and throw them across a football field and then go bury myself in a hole and live there forever in my own little underground lair because this worries me for the future of humanity. Now, this person is not new. She's actually been around for a little bit. So I did some research on uh, Miss Nadia here. She's actually written two books. One is called Accidental Saints and the upcoming book that she had is called Shameless. And Shameless is, of course, about how this patriarchal Christianity has just shamed women and has made sexuality something that it wasn't supposed to be. And so I've... uh, Uh, read some excerpts from this Accidental Saints book that she read or that she wrote in 2015. I've read some reviews of it from people that I trust. And here's who she is. So this is a, um, this, I'm not saying that tattoos are bad. I'm just kind of giving you a mental picture. This is a head to toe tattooed punk rock looking person. Now that in and of itself does not mean that you are unchristian at all or that you are not godly or not holy. But I'm just giving you a mental picture of what this so-called pastor is like. She fancies herself 
a rebel and not just outwardly, but also theologically, if you can even call it theology. Even uh, religiously, she fancies herself a rebel. So Accidental Saints was running into, was about running into God and people that she didn't expect. So she talks about running into a drag queen that showed her God, running into non-Christians that showed her God, and just how awesome it is to be irreverent, how awesome it is to live this ungodly and sinful life, and how it's totally fine to be blasphemous. It's totally fine to be crude. And actually, it's awesome. It's liberating that way. Um, Here's an excerpt from her from uh, Accidental Saints. This is a pastor, by the way, who claims to also be a theologian, who Huffington Post calls a Christian and a Christian author. Okay, here's an excerpt from Accidental Saints from this lady. I dug out a scarf from my bag and made a remark about this effing, except she says it, effing air conditioning as we listened to the prelude for the service to follow. And by listen to, I made, I mean made fun of. Bruce, is this prelude helping us or hurting us, you think? There is something about dropping dropping F-bombs and making fun of worship music with a bishop that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Oh, man, man. See, this, she thinks that she is innovative. People like this, they think that they're innovative. With her new book, Shameless, of course, she's talking about how God really doesn't call us to so-called purity, how that's really just a form of oppression. It's a form of misogyny. It's really weighing human beings down. Women and men just need to be liberated. We just need to do whatever we want with our bodies. That's really what God intended. And the church just created this awful structure that is holding us back which of course, again, is not biblical. Um, She thinks that she is new. She thinks that she is cutting edge. She thinks that she is innovative, that she is a rebel. Listen, when I say the Bible does not call us to be edgy, it calls us to be obedient. We are not called to be quote, rebellious Christians. Uh, We are called to be obedient Christians. It is not cool. It is not Christian. It is not godly. It is not biblical to rebel against the Bible. And there are a lot of people who think like this. I know that Miss Nadia thinks that she's probably the first one, but actually in their own forms, Jen Hatmaker does the same thing. Rachel Held Evans does the same thing. You could make the argument that Rachel Hollis does the same thing. This kind of making a sinfulness a virtue, making not really knowing or following the Bible a virtue, making it like, yeah, we're these cool women that don't even listen to the patriarchy of the Bible. Now that just means you're not a Christian. That That's all that means. Now I'm not saying that Rachel Hollis isn't necessarily a Christian. I'm just saying that the thing, some of the things that she promotes is kind of like that. It's like, you know, I'm just a free spirit. I don't have to follow anyone. And just because I don't do what the Bible tells me, that doesn't mean that I'm a bad Christian. Well, that's not actually something to glorify. Yes, of course, we are all sinful and we can be transparent about that. We should be vulnerable about the things that we are truly struggling with. But should I glorify my sin? Should I say, oh, I um, am, you know, I'm an awesome hypocrite. And should we be happy if our friend says, oh, you know, I'm just a really good liar. It's just kind of who I am. No, of course not. That's not something that we should be excited about. That's not something that uh, we should rejoice over. In the same way, we shouldn't be rejoicing over a lack of purity. We shouldn't be rejoicing over dropping F-bombs in church and being completely irreverent. That means that you don't love, respect, or fear God. People really try hard to make Christianity seem cooler or more attractive to the secular world by making Christianity more secular. And you're not actually helping anyone because again, that just proves that you don't believe that God is good, that he's not really who he says that he is, that the word of God can't be trusted and that 
you actually are a better person to follow your ideology, your sinfulness is, uh, is more is more helpful to someone who needs to be saved than uh, the God of the Bible is. And that is no different than idolatry. You are an unbeliever in thinking that. We don't need to let God off the hook. We don't need to make him softer. We don't need to make him more attractive. We don't need to make him more appealing. We don't need to make him cooler. We don't need to make Christianity seem edgier. We need to speak the truth. We need to share the gospel. We need to point people to scripture, uh, which says that God is a God of wrath and a God of love, and that we uh, will pay the price for our sins if we don't believe and confess that Jesus paid the price for our sins uh, on our behalf on the cross uh, if if we do not believe that, then we get to uh, suffer the wrath of God for all of eternity. That is the loving thing to say because that's the truth. And if we love people, we'll we'll share that truth and share the grace that is offered to us through Christ. Uh, okay, so that's the first absolutely absurd story uh, with this uh, Bowles Weber person. She is probably, I, I can't say in her heart of hearts, I don't see from the fruit or the words in her life that she is a Christian. Christian feminist is a paradox. Uh, throwing away purity rings is not going to help anything. Patriarchal theology, there's really no such thing as that. A progressive Christian, I have a hard time with that juxtaposition. You know that. So let's move on to the next thing. Uh, next absurdity that's happening in the, it's also in the Christian world, in the Christian world, this is from Fox News, VeggieTales is racist. Yes, you are right. VeggieTales, VeggieTales, Vegetable Tales. The characters in it are vegetables. You might be wondering, I don't remember there being an African-American cucumber. I don't remember there being a Mexican potato. I don't remember there being a white squash. And you would be absolutely right, but you are still wrong because you are thinking logically and logic doesn't work in this world, okay? So Cal State San Marcos is a project. Uh, Cal State San Marcos is a project. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm kind of confused about this line. So uh, in Cal State San Marcos, there is a project from Professor Dreama, Dreama Moon? Dream of Moon, Dream of Moon's class titled uh, the, oh God, I got it, got it. I got the sentence now. At Cal State San Marcos is a project from Professor Dream of Moon's class titled The Communication of Whiteness. It sounds like a great productive class. Uh, students called various things racist, including the NFL, women who support President Trump, just women now. And uh, the popular animated cartoon that started in 1993, you know, with Bob and Larry, the tomato and the cucumber, uh, a female student in this project uh, made the claim that by humanizing vegetables, this is real. Okay. This is not the Babylon Bee. It's not the onion. This is not one of my videos. This is real. A female student made the claim that by humanizing vegetables, the creators of VeggieTales were using the children's programming to promote racial stereotypes by making the villains racial minorities. <sighs> okay. It says when supremacists aim to taint the way children think of people of color, it will work. The poster titled children in the church reads. Okay. People. Okay. So this is the definition of insanity. This is making up something that is just not true. It has no attachment to reality. Uh, it has no allegiance to the truth whatsoever. There is no logical thinking that is required in a class or a project like this. There is absolutely no deductive reasoning that goes along with something like this. Um, I remember VeggieTales. We watched VeggieTales 
in school, actually, when I was in elementary school, VeggieTales is awesome. And it's funny. I think that if I watched it now, I would still probably laugh. It is clever. Uh, I mean, I don't remember there being uh, negative stereotypes of racial minorities uh, as the villains. I highly doubt that's true. That's probably why the creators of VeggieTales created veggie tails, vegetables, uh, so there wouldn't be any problem with race. But this is exactly where progressivism and intersectionality leads. Everything is about race. Everything is about oppression, the oppressor versus the oppressed. There has to be some kind of unfair, uh, unjust dynamic in the social justice world. It can't just be. Uh, it can't just be, actually. I'll just end it there. It can't just be. Something can't just be funny. Something can't just be education. Really, the only reason why they found something racist in this is because it is Christian and because it uh, purports values that they don't like. If this was uh, any other kind of entertainment that uh, purported progressive values, they wouldn't say anything about it. Meanwhile, these are the same kind of people that are okay with uh, drag queen reading hour. I don't know if you've seen stories uh, about that, where drag queens go and read to lower school students or elementary school students, uh, their stories. They're totally fine with indoctrinating them with that. They're fine with the anti-America propaganda that we're now seeing in public schools. They're uh, okay with the pro-gay agenda in the public schools. They're fine with that. What they're not fine with is vegetables acting out Bible stories because that's racist. Like I said, this is the definition of insanity, but so is progressivism and intersectionality. That's it. It is the definite. They are insanity. Because they create this alternate reality in which uh, people are oppressed based on their skin color and their gender in 2018 in America when that's just not systemically true. It's just not. And so they really operate on offense. Offense is their fuel. That's how they keep going. If no one's offended, then there is uh, no need for progressivism. There's no need for intersectionality. Um, so they have to find ways to be offended, no matter how equal and awesome our uh, society is, so they can keep this stuff going. It's a very sick relationship. And unfortunately, it's infecting the minds of people that go to college. I'm more and more, I'm realizing that it might be better for people just to not go to college. I'm a big fan of my college experience. I want people to get as educated as possible, but at the very least, be smart about where you go and what classes you pick, please. Uh, next uh, ridiculous story that we've got going, um, Fox News, freshmores over freshmen at Appalachian State in North Carolina. So they're trying to be more inclusive. So they're calling people freshmores instead of freshmen. Here's my thing. And it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. How did we survive as a human race for so long without being offended? Like, how did we get by? How did people just live happy lives and be productive citizens, start businesses, uh, have families, die happy, you know, save their money and somehow avoid being perpetually offended by everything? Like, how did I live through my freshman years of high school and college without thinking, wow, I'm not a man. How dare you exclude me from this? No, I never thought that. It never crossed my mind. And guess what? I graduated from college with honors. I never felt discriminated against. And I bet you didn't either if you went to college. I just, are there like, are, are, are there trolls? Are there gnomes around? Are there little offense fairies that fly around and go to these people and just say, you're offended by this. Please remember when you wake up in the morning, you are offended by this. 
What happens to people? Does your mind just corrode? And as it corrodes, it's replaced with just these little uh, offense neurons. What happens? I, I need to know what happens and how these people are spending their time. When do you come to the realization that you're offended by something that's been around forever and ever? Like we're offended by statues now. We're offended by Christmas. We are offended by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We're offended by all of these things that for so long we were completely, we were completely fine with. Like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is now being, uh, it, it, it's problematic because it is, um, I don't know, it justifies bullying minorities when that's not the case at all. My parents never had to sit me down and talk to me about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer being problematic and I survived. And I know that bullying's bad. In fact, I hate bullies probably more than anyone else on this earth. Uh, so how how did these generations just go on and, and live normal lives without these social justice warriors telling us that we need to be offended and that we're oppressed. It's amazing. And you know what? I don't think that it's actually uh, a coincidence that these young people, millennials, that are constantly offended by everything are also the most depressed, the most suicidal, the most anxious uh, generation that has ever lived. It's almost like when you're perpetually offended, you're not happy. Crazy, crazy. Okay, last one. I have a little bit of a different view on this one. Baby, it's cold outside. Apparently was taken off the radio on a particular radio station. People are freaking out about it. Of course, conservatives are freaking out about it, um, saying, oh, this is censorship. This is so stupid. And the reason why it was taken off is because of the Me Too movement. And they're saying it actually glorifies date rape, which I don't think that the song does. But here's my thought about it. So I agree. It's really stupid to take it off air, especially when you have rap music that is uh, that it objectifies women constantly and that is completely inappropriate and pushes values that are anti-woman every single day and also promote capitalism, which progressives hate. So if you're going to take Baby It's Cold Outside off of the radio, you should also take all of Kanye West, all of Jay-Z, all of DJ Khaled, whatever his name is, I don't even know. Um, you should definitely take those off of the radio too because they don't perpetuate good values. If you're going to take off baby, it's cold outside. But at the same time, like here's my thing. I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm not going to die on the hill of baby, it's cold outside because it's like, it's not a good song in the values that it promotes. It doesn't actually promote great song or great values. Like it, I mean, it does glorify at least getting drunk and staying over with someone that you didn't want to stay over with. So it's not like it promotes uh, good behavior and conservatives and Christians shouldn't be like fighting for baby. It's cold outside, maybe for the principle of it and for against the hypocrisy of the left. Uh, but we shouldn't be fighting for like, this is an awesome, innocent song. It's not necessarily we just need to have an even standard across the board. Um, of course, there are now defenders of it on the left too. Variety is saying, oh, it's so awesome. It's actually about female empowerment. Okay, well, you just took it too far. I mean, they are always, progressivism is always eating itself. Um, so those are all the absurd, absurd stories that I have. We live in a very interesting world. Um yeah. So now I'm going to read some of the questions that you guys sent me and I'm looking down at my phone because I'm trying to find them. Okay. So I want to address this one first because I thought it was really interesting and I'm very thankful that this person decided to um decided to ask me this because I think it 
probably takes a lot of bravery. So this person asked me, I'm struggling with infidelity. And I just realized uh, I already suggested you talk about that today. I was listening to your podcast about repentance and it's about the unbeliever believing. Uh, I think God is calling me back. And so this person uh, wants advice and wants uh, a reminder. One, I want to tell you that God loves you and that there is grace. And just like the prodigal son, when the prodigal son started running towards his father, uh, the prodigal son, if you don't know the story, it's in the book of Luke. Um, he, the prodigal son uh, took his inheritance from his father and he ran off and he squandered his inheritance. He spent everything. And after squandering his inheritance, he ended up eating and sleeping with the pigs. And once he realized like, oh my gosh, my life is absolutely awful. I could be one of my father's servants and live a better life than this. He runs back to his dad. And uh, the, the story says that when his dad saw his son from a distance, the son that betrayed him, that ran away from him, that took his entire inheritance and basically spat in his face by doing that. He saw his son from a long way off and he ran towards him. He ran towards him and he embraced him and he brought him in and he gave him a feast. That is a depiction of the grace of God when we turn towards him. Uh, there was a, a turning and a returning of the prodigal son, this rebellious son. And he came towards his father and his father ran towards him and embraced him, didn't chastise him and didn't say, wow, I can't believe you did all this stuff. Pay me back immediately. He said, no, uh, get get the the finest uh, the finest food for him let's have an abundant feast and celebrate his return because the son that i i once thought that i lost is now home and that's what it is like when a sinner repents that's what it is like when we go back to the lord he is excited to see us uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't uh, there aren't repercussions for what we do especially something like infidelity there is and we are asked to do really hard things uh, like to confess our sin and to say, Hey, I've been doing this and I need help. And it also requires that we turn away from that sin and that we don't do it anymore. But you're not in that process of repentance alone. You are with the Holy Spirit who promises to help you through all of that and who you actually, you actually can't repent properly without the Holy Spirit, but do it because God loves you. Not because, um, not because you are afraid of punishment. And like I said, there are real life consequences that you should, you should think about and that you should consider. Um, but God loves you and he has something way better for you than that. And he thinks that you are worth more than that. And ultimately the path of infidelity is going to destroy you. I don't know if you uh, are married and have kids, but it's going to destroy your family and you have to stop being selfish. You have to, you have to stop only thinking about yourself and you have to think about not only your obedience to Christ, but also the well-being of the people around you. Life is not about you. It's not about you feeling good. It's not about you getting affirmation from other men. It is about glorifying Christ and your confidence coming from Christ and your joy coming from Christ and loving him and loving those around you. And infidelity does not fit into that. You are going to be so much better off. Um, of course, the most important thing is that you're going to be honoring Christ by being obedient. Right now you're walking in sin and walking in disobedience, but you are going to um, be so much more satisfied um, in that repentance and in walking with God. I uh, also recommend that you 
uh, get plugged in if you're not already with a local church body that you ask church elders for help, possibly uh, that you get involved into in a small group and that you ask for accountability, that you have godly women in your life that are holding you accountable, that are texting you, that are calling you, that are in your life, that are annoying you out of your sin. Uh, that's something that we can all learn from and that not a lot of us are very good at. I don't like accountability because you know, it it pulls me out of my complacency, Uh, but you need that right now. And I will pray for you. And thank you for coming to me because it uh, is a really hard thing to talk about. And the fact that you came to me shows me that God is, um, you know, he's working on your heart. You don't, you obviously realize that there's something wrong with this, which shows me that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and that he has something much better for you than this. So, Um, The other question I got, I actually got two identical questions on this, which is really interesting. And um, I think I'll just answer them all at once. So two people asked me about interacting with their in-laws and what that has been like and any advice that I have. Well, uh, I am very lucky. My husband was raised in a very similar way as I was. He has two older sisters. I have two older brothers. Uh, We both went to the same kind of schools. Both of our parents, conservative Christians. Uh, We had pretty... uh, sheltered, I would say. I don't mean that in a negative way, but just pretty sheltered upbringings. And so we were both raised in a very similar way. There hasn't been a lot of conflict as far as, whoa, your family values that. My family values this. That's totally different. Now, there are differences between our families. My family doesn't spend as much quality time together. We, When we are together, we're, even, we're like in our own separate world. His family loves to spend a lot of quality time together. And there is, uh, you just kind of get used to those different things. Not, neither one is necessarily bad. They're just different. I enjoy aspects of both, but you do have to get used to those things. And here's one thing that I will just give you. Um, there will be things that your in-laws do that your family, that your in-law family does that you don't get, that you think, why are we doing this? I, I, I'm not saying if my in-laws are listening to this, I'm not saying that I've done this. I'm just saying um, that you will think, why are we doing this? Why are we going to this place? Or why do we have to do it like this? My family does it this way. And your husband or wife will do the same thing. They'll look at your family and say, why, why does your family do things like this? Why do they talk like that? Whatever it is. And your job in those situations, unless it is like dire, dire, some kind of immoral, horrible thing that you really have to talk about, your job in that is to lay down your pride, to lay down your complaints, to shut up and just do it. If it is a small, trivial thing, you don't understand why his family is inefficient. He doesn't understand why your family is more quiet. You don't understand why you don't spend more time together, where you have to spend so much time together. Of course, there are boundaries that you need to strike and your husband or wife need to be the couriers to their own families to make sure that those boundaries are set up. Like it shouldn't be your job to go to your mother-in-law and say, I need these boundaries. It shouldn't be his job to go to the father-in-law and say, I need these boundaries. Like you need to be the messengers to your own families. And I just kind of lost my train of thought. I kind of forgot what I was trying to say. But basically, when it's something small, when you have a complaint that it's not completely life altering and it's not a matter of like, whoa, you just completely assaulted my boundaries, just go with it. There are going to be things that you don't get. There are going to be kind of holidays that you don't like to celebrate the way they do. Just go with it. Don't complain. Pick your battles. 
pick your battles when it comes to your in-laws. Don't personally attack. Like if you're talking to your husband, do not personally attack any of their in-laws. Do not speak to uh, their character as much as you can. Be as gracious, be as patient, be as empathetic, and be as understanding as you can that uh, your in-laws might be different than you. Um, Like I said, I'm extremely lucky. That's not the case for everyone. Uh, You could be married into a family where they are unbelievers, where they are completely different political bins. And that, of course, is a lot harder. But your job as a Christian, of course, is to be an ambassador of Christ and to love them as much as you possibly can. I do agree that it's important to set up boundaries, though you and your family are much more important now to each other. Like you and your husband, you and your wife are much more important to each other than uh, your relationship with your parents or with your siblings. Now, you have to remember that you and your husband are now one flesh. You are not one flesh with anyone else in your family. So you go to bat for your husband. He goes to bat for you. And that's the way it is. You don't go to bat for anyone else. So you're on each other's team. Uh, Okay, that's all I have time for today. Love you guys. I will see you next week. 